Well, welcome to Midtown 12 South. It's a pleasure to be uh, in the house of the Lord with you on this Lord's Day. We have been for the last, uh, you know, last little bit walking through the Lord's Prayer together, uh, looking line by line, uh, petition by petition, command by command, uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer because we know that um, what happens there in the book of Matthew, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, the, ask Jesus uh, to teach them how to pray, uh, which means prayer doesn't come naturally for us. Uh, we have to be taught how to do it. Um, no better place to learn than from uh, the guy who invented it. And so the disciples go to Jesus, they ask him for that. So we have been each week looking um, at each phrase and clause in the Lord's Prayer uh, and then going to another part of Scripture and looking uh, at Scripture to really interpret Scripture for us, to really confirm uh, what the Lord has said. So we, we come to actually the end of it um, today. we got one more sermon next week on sort of how to apply this. Uh, but for the prayer itself as we know it, uh, this will be the last week where we look at how we just closed uh, that prayer there by praying for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um, which is weird because if you have an ESV Bible, that's actually not in there. Um, we're not going to talk about why, because I don't know. Um, you can talk about it probably with somebody else. Uh, but that phrase actually is not in some translations of Scripture. The NIV is not in there. The ESV is not in there. Uh, but you'll find it in other places. You actually find that phrase in First Chronicles uh, where uh, that is said, uh, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, we don't know why the early Greek manuscripts uh, have admitted this. It's likely a scribal edition that a scribe who was uh, kind of writing down what was being said added that in there. Uh, and so the church has decided over thousands and thousands of years that it's okay to leave that in there. Um, and so uh, it's certainly okay for us to close out our prayers or the Lord's Prayer this way. Uh, and when we pray it, uh, we have to ask ourselves, what do we actually mean when we say that? Uh, what, are, what are we to learn uh, by saying such a phrase when we recite it together? Uh, it will be our intention this morning to say uh, that such a statement, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is to say this. That all the things I've asked for, all the things that I've confessed, asking God for your kingdom to come, asking for your will to be done, asking for bread, asking for forgiveness, asking for protection, uh, none of this is possible unless you really are who you say you are. None of this is possible uh, unless you really are the king of a new kingdom, and unless you really are powerful, uh, unless you really are glorified on the earth. Because none of this is possible, none of these requests that we make to the Lord are possible unless the Lord has the ability to do something about it. Uh, and so what we'll look at this morning together is Psalm 27, it's where we'll spend the remainder of our time together. Uh, is a psalm written that, uh, in, the, in the face of great fear. Um, David is writing this psalm, um, and he's really leaning on God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory uh, for his protection. Uh, so that's where we'll be this morning, Psalm 27. And as we look for God's kingdom, power, and glory, uh, kind of keep in our mind that that was all made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ, the great Savior of sinners. Uh, who is our only comfort um, above protection, above family, above my job? Um, all these things, Scripture is going to show us, pale in comparison to Jesus. Uh, so let's look together, Psalm 27. We're going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 14. Um, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, that's where we'll be. It's also going to be on the screens in front of you. 
So this is the word of the Lord from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in this tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and teach me on, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, this morning, I must confess, as I hear David ask the question of whom shall I be afraid, um, there are a lot of things I'm afraid of. And so, Jesus, I need you, uh, just as you did with uh, your servant David, um, to show my heart uh, that it is your perfect love that casts out fear. Uh, Jesus, we can't do that um, on our own. Uh, so we ask that in your mercy and your grace, uh, would you come to us this morning? Would you be and attend to the preaching of your word? Would you forgive the sins of the messenger for there are many? Would you forgive the, sin, the sins of my friends here uh, as we hear and ponder uh, and look and wonder on all that you have for us this morning? That's uh, your name I do pray. Amen. Uh, so we read Psalm 27 together, 1 through 14. There will be three things that we'll kind of take away from this. We have the face of fear, the face of God, and a faith that carries. Uh, so let's dive into the first point, the face of fear. Uh, psalm 27 opens. It's a psalm written by King David. Uh, David was uh, the shepherd boy who, through God's anointing, became the king of Israel. Uh, he killed the giant Goliath. You may know that story. He ushered in really this golden age uh, of Israel. He is described as being a man after God's own heart. He was a saint. He was a scoundrel all at the same time. Uh, and he opens this psalm with this mighty declaration, The Lord is my light and my salvation, he says. And then he asks, Whom shall I fear? And as I was reading that this week, I was like, I'd like to take a stab at that. David, uh, I don't know, aliens, apparently they're real. <laughs> apparently some whistleblower said that's a thing now. Uh, cancer's scary, mother-in-laws are scary. I don't know what happened to the murder hornets. People talked about that a couple years ago, where'd they go? Uh, Break-ins, carjackings, quicksand, pianos falling from the sky. There are all these things, uh, Lord, that we are afraid of. Uh, my household, my upbringing, my own heart. Uh, my background, 
Uh, when we look at Scripture, we look at our own hearts. Fear and the human race have a pretty long relationship. In fact, our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first ones to experience fear, uh, right after they fell into sin, they said to the Lord, I heard you coming, I heard your voice, and I was afraid because we were naked, so we hid. Fear has been around for a long time. In fact, in the Bible, the most common command is do not fear. It appears over 200 times or so. So David, king, maybe get off your high horse a little bit. Because there are a lot of things that cause us to fear. It's ever prevalent but the beauty behind that means that because it's present, fear doesn't catch God by surprise. Which means that there must be an opportunity for us in this emotion. If fear is popping up all the time, it must mean that there's an opportunity for us. Chip Dodd, you probably know who he is. He said, a thing, he said that fear can either lead us into anxiety and confusion Fear can lead us into weariness or to cigarettes. Or fear can actually be a gift and an invitation to us. Because fear can actually lead us into wisdom. And it really leads us into faith. This is what David is saying here. Fear triggers within us the response of knowing that I am a finite human. I have limits. I have boundaries. I don't live as if I do. The reality when I lay my head down at night is I know that I'm not able to handle everything that comes my way. And I need faith in something beyond myself. I need faith in something bigger than myself. And that is what David is doing here. When he asks that somewhat rhetorical question, he does so by saying, if we look at verses 3 and 4, there's an army encamped against me. Wars are rising against me. I have evildoers wanting to eat my flesh, he said. I'm like, what's going on here, David? So we have to ask, how does David write with such confidence? Because honestly, the things that he talks about here, they sound pretty terrible. David isn't telling Israel to ascribe to the power of positive thinking. He's not saying to Israel, just kind of ignore your fears the same way you would ignore a stray cat or maybe your toddler. Like, just don't ignore, like, I'm not telling you to just ignore what you're afraid of. David is saying, let this fear lead you to God himself. He looked at all the things that incite fear, and he looked at God and he said, above wanting to protect my empire, above wanting to protect the people that I steward, above all that, I have asked God to let me be with him. Look at verse 5, he says, for, I will for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high above a rock. On verse 4, one thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in his house forever, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. David said there are a lot of things to be afraid of. I'm going to let all those things drive me to God because God is the one who has made a promise to David and David remembers it. Because David knows that even if I lose all those things, if I lose my kingdom, that God's kingdom is unshakable. If I lose these wars that are rising against me, if these flesh eaters finally get to me, 
I'm going to trust that God will hide me in his shelter. He'll conceal me in his tabernacle. He says in verse 6 that God will lift up his head. Here's the thing, Midtown, your fears are very real. There is much to be afraid of in a world out there and in the inner world of our own hearts. And scripture offers us this antidote. It offers this medicine and it's this. Get lost in the Lord. Of all the things that you're fearful of, of all those things that are very real and very scary, David is saying, go before the face of God. Let it take you to him. Because there's a thing about fear. If it really is this invitation to lead us to God, it must mean that God is more powerful than that. We'll see an example of this in the Gospels, uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, the disciples are in a boat. There's a storm kind of raging. There's a storm going crazy all around. Uh, the disciples are freaking out. They look back and Jesus is asleep. Jesus isn't anxious. Jesus isn't scared. And the disciples come to him losing their mind. The storm is coming. It's going to take us out. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? They ask him. They were afraid. Jesus, we're going to die. Why, why are you asleep? Why aren't you scared? You may know the story. Jesus stands up and he tells the storm to stop. And then you would think that the disciples wouldn't be afraid anymore. But this is what they say to each other. Luke says they were filled with great fear. And they said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Their fear didn't go away. It was simply transferred. It was transferred to Jesus because if Jesus really could calm this storm, maybe Jesus really could calm my fears. It's kind of a scary thought. The storm now seems secondary to the one who was in the boat with them, and they gaze at him, and they wondered who he was and what they knew, what David knew, what Scripture says, is you have to do something with that fear, and this is a good place to start. Going to Jesus himself he says, gazing upon the face of God. The kingdom that God is building will swallow up all the rival kingdoms that are warring for your allegiance, David is showing us. But it doesn't come passively. We must be active participants in the kingdom of God working. It's always working. It's working behind the scenes. And it's the faithful who catch a sight of it. And David says, if we allow the fears to subside... And we look at Jesus, those fears start to dim a little bit. To allow the fears to subside when we see the king and his kingdom, and not to seek to be the king of our own kingdom. Which brings us to our second point this morning, the face of God. If we look at verses 7 to 10, verses 7 to 10 give us a glimpse of David walking even more deeply into discipleship uh, by showing believers that it isn't merely enough to acknowledge that God is a protection and a fortress. Because we so easily forget that, he acknowledges the true security comes not from just understanding God as king. It comes from experiencing him as king. Look what he says in verse 8. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Then he asks in verse 9, not to hide your face from me, God. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you have been my help. 
David is begging God here. He's begging the Lord for him to not turn his face away. He wants to have his face, which it's kind of a weird statement to say. Um, But in the Hebrew, to be in someone's face, as you know this, uh, means that you can read it, you can see it, you can see the verbal communication, the nonverbal communication, all that is taking place. And David longs to be in that space with God himself. The fears that he deals with disappear before the face of God. He is begging for what we beg God for. God, please don't forget me. There's all this stuff that's going on. God, my family's crazy. God, I've sinned again. God, I'm addicted. God, I'm scared. Don't turn your face away from me. Don't forget me. God, have mercy on me is what David is asking for here. The same goes for us. Those sweetest moments that you've had with God and with his people, you think back to your, maybe your youth group days or your retreats or camps or college ministries, uh, when you survive intense suffering, when you've seen your marriage healed, those moments always seem to come to us when we spend devoted time before the Lord. Regular time before God asking to see his face and asking him not to be forgotten by him. Which really might be our heart's greatest fear. It really might be our greatest fear. I remember one time I asked this girl out. She shot me down. I didn't, not one time. It happened a lot. But this particular time. Um, I asked this girl out. And she shot me down. And I was like, you yeah, know, explanation, please. Um, maybe there's something I can work on. What can I take away from this? Action steps. Um, and... She, she just said to me, God doesn't want me to date you. And I was like, well, I just got shot down by her and by God. <laughs> like, that's what you just said to me. Because that's our greatest fear. That God really would be like, you're a little too much for me. God really would be like, I'm just tired of forgiving you. Putting her poor theology aside, <laughs> it, still, it still rings true, Right? God, when is the other foot going to drop? God, when are you going to pull the rug out from under me? God, things things seem to be going a little too well. I have suspicions. I have doubts. I have a history of people forgetting me. So why would God be any different? This is David begging God, God, don't forsake me. Don't forsake me. We got the pleasure of being on this side of the cross We know the story of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, as he's being crucified. He actually quotes David uh, from Psalm 22. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, he cried out to God and he asked him a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he doesn't get an answer. But we do. David does. You get one, I get one. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never have to know what that feels like. That God will not turn you away in anger because for God's people, there is no anger left. It was poured out on Jesus. How great the pain of searing loss we sing. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Jesus withstood being forsaken by God himself and it killed him. And in doing so, Jesus is saying to those who follow him, this will never happen to you. 
that Jesus, who had always had his father's face, had his father turn his face away from him so that our faces can now be turned toward God. We can now look at God and we can now be with God and it doesn't kill us. Like it would have done to Moses when Moses asked, God, just let me see your glory. And God says, you can't. It'll kill you. All the things that bring David his ultimate comfort, his fears for the enemy outside of him are dealt with. His anxious fears and his thoughts with him are dealt with. And now he can rest in this faith that will sustain him, which brings us to our last point, the faith that carries. If we look at verses 13 and 14 here as David closes out this psalm, David says, I will wait on the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. Remember, they sing these psalms in church. So they're singing this in the temple. So as David wrote this and they're singing it together, I will wait on the Lord. He's saying to the people, I want you to wait with me. I want you to wait on the Lord with me. Remember, they would have been singing this in worship. So David is saying, let's hurry up and wait together. And what is he waiting for? He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. What he's, what he's telling us to wait for is that we know that there is a kingdom that is coming. Elliot spoke about this earlier. We pray that your kingdom come. We know that that is true, that there's a kingdom coming. What we also know to be true is that the kingdom is here. Right, we're always living between the already and the not yet. The tension in scripture is that for us. That there is a kingdom that is here and there's a kingdom that is coming. David is saying, wait for the Lord. Pause, stop, reflect, and look and see that that kingdom is already moving. This is the snow melting in Narnia. This is the light shining forth from Gondor. I believe he says that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living in other words, while we're waiting for heaven to show up, while we're waiting for heaven to come down, while we're waiting on Revelation 21 to be true, we are still looking around and seeing that the kingdom is actually here. We don't have to wait for the kingdom to be here fully in order to experience the kingdom now. That's what David is saying. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. He's not just saying, I believe I'll see God's goodness somewhere in the future. He's saying, I believe that I will see it right now. Because when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he always spoke of how it's slow moving, how it's perpetual in nature. He said it's like a mustard seed, which is weird. The mustard seed being the smallest of all seeds, he says that when it goes into full bloom, turns into a tree big enough for birds to make their nests. Jesus said it's like farming. You throw some seeds out, some get snatched up, and some bloom. He said it's like fishing. It's almost always compared to things that take time. But in the end, these things that take time always have great rewards for those who benefit from its existence. David is saying, I believe I will see the goodness of the God in the land of the living. That there will be benefits, there will be temporal experiences now of things that God is doing. One of my favorite hymns is a hymn called, um, what's it called? Beans of Heaven, that's what it's called. 
uh, a hymn called Beams of Heaven. It's written by Charles Tinley. Tinley was the son of slaves. Uh, he taught himself to read at age 17. Uh, hearing the slave songs of deliverance and trust in the Lord, he began to write songs himself. He worked as a janitor at an AME church in Pennsylvania, put himself through divinity school, and actually ended up becoming the pastor of the church where he was once the janitor, which is how I got this job. Uh, it's a church, uh, it was a church in Pennsylvania that had 12,000 members when he died. Tinley's songs and Tinley's writings would become kind of the backbone for the civil rights movement. He wrote a song called, We Shall Overcome. And he wrote this song, Beams of Heaven. He wrote it about the coming kingdom. Saying that in all the darkness that is around me, I see beams of heaven coming through. He says this, harder yet may be the fight. Right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign and Satan's cause may seem to gain. But there's a God that rules above. With hand of power and heart of love. And if I'm right, he'll fight my battles and I will have peace someday. Friends, in the land of the living God is moving. So what David is praying. I believe that I'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living God is moving. It's slow. It's deliberate. And yet it's there. When it seems like the armies are advancing against us, there's a kingdom that isn't concerned with them. That Jesus is this ultimate non-anxious presence partly why we love him so much partly why he frustrates us so much but Jesus isn't sitting in heaven kind of looking at his watch waiting on you to come back he's not there tapping his foot saying Daryl's done it again he's probably going to come back at about three o'clock on his drive home and pray I guess I'll forgive him again Jesus doesn't look at us that way and so even when we bring the things that we're afraid of to him they don't scare him. Which means that you don't scare him. And if he's that way with the forces that threaten his kingdom, then he's that way with you. And if that's true, then our fears are going to be dealt with. And some of those fears will be dealt with now. And we'll actually get to see that. That they are mastered, uh, not by us, but by the one who masters all things for his glory and for his good. And so we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are uh, so undone by your goodness. Lord, even in, in reading David's psalm, there's a temptation for me to want to be like David when you say, it's actually not the point. That the point for me is to put my faith in the God that David placed his faith in. I said, Jesus, would you do that now? Would you do that for us? Uh, as we enter into a time of singing, would you gladden our hearts? If that's your will, would you break our hearts if that's your will? Uh, Spirit, whatever you choose to do uh, in our remaining time together, uh, would you be merciful in, us, in it as you deal with us? We trust that it is your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. Uh, so allow us to see your kindness. 
Allow us to see your kindness to us right now in the land of the living. To see how you have brought lost souls home to you. To see how you have restored homes. To see how you have restored marriages. How you have restored friendships. How you have been so kind as to place us where you have placed us. Jesus, let us remember those mercies. uh, And let those mercies draw us uh, even deeper into what you have for us. That's in your name we do pray. Amen.